You know, we're right now in the beginning of 1 John, and I love John. I love the opening of his gospel when he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he, he's echoing back to the opening parts of Genesis. And, and let me read that for you. It's going to be on the screen here behind me. Let me make sure I hit this the right way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and void. I want you just to kind of get in your mind what that might look like. Now, you don't live in a household like I do where kids are constantly making Play-Doh and slime and all sorts of crap that is really hard to clean up. But when I watch them build these things, it always starts out formless and void. There's nothing there. And then all of a sudden, the creative genius of these children begin forming and making and shaping things. And it just reminds me of how God is looking at the earth in its very beginning phases. And he begins molding and shaping. And as we continue reading, it really does seem as though he's molding us much like Play-Doh or clay. And then breathing his very life, his breath, his essence into creation and into us. So let me read it again with that in our minds. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering, present over the waters. And God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that is the very first day of creation. All throughout Scripture, this image of light and darkness will become so important, not only as God creating, but also becoming a metaphor for our world because as we read on in Genesis, we only have to go three chapters in to see that instantly there's a problem. You see, God creates everything good, and, and he makes this world in such a way that it seems as though it has a specific purpose for a specific being. And then we watch him create Adam and Eve, and then we realize, oh, all this is for us. And that altogether creation does nothing but worship God just by simply being. And so as John is capturing this very idea using in the beginning was the word, he's using a, a Greek philosophy, a term that they would say, oh, in the beginning was this great being, this power, this word, this essence. And John says, yeah, let me show you who he is. And so as the Bible begins, it doesn't say, hey, you know, there was this God and he existed. It, it says, well, that, that's assumed. In fact, that's so true, we don't even need to mention it because everyone's aware. It's more important about what this God does next. And so as we read this and we begin to look at light and darkness, we, we can start to begin to think, wow, you know, this creation, this God, he, he, he must create something that's good because he calls creation good. In fact, as you read through the creation story, you'll see that after every creation event, God says, it is good, it is good, it is good, until he gets to humanity. And once he makes Adam and Eve and he puts them together, he says, it is very good do you know that you were created to not just be good but to be very good and that when God looks at you he sees very good now I know sometimes we look back in our lives and we think how on earth could God love me with the things I've said the things I've done or, or the life I've lived and the answer is it's easy for him because the very essence of God is light, the very essence of God is love, and love exists in mercy and redemption. And we're going to learn more about that as we continue in our time today.
But people throughout history have constantly looked at this idea of lightness and dark and God creating, and they're trying to make sense of the world, and how do we know right and wrong? And so even the ancients began to study this and come up with their own philosophy, and I, I love this guy. Listen to his name. Gaius Celestius Crispus. What a boss. Wouldn't you love to have that on a name tag? So this guy shows up somewhere in the early BCEs, and he's the earliest Roman historian that we have on record. That means his writings have survived throughout history, and he's the earliest one we have on record. That's amazing. And in his, his wisdom of, of politics and the world and everything in it, he comes up with this, this statement. He says, the gods being good and making all things, there is no positive evil. It only comes by the absence of good, just as darkness itself does not exist, but only comes about by the absence of light. So check this out. Damien, can you black out the stage? Here's the absence of light. Now go ahead and hit the light. Anytime. We broke it. Chris Tomlin sings in one of his songs a line where he says, uh, the darkness flees in the presence of God, who is light. I love that opening part of, of God just says, let there be light, and there's light. And, and there's no sun or moon because they're created later. And so what we come to realize just at the very first chapter of Genesis is that God is light. And it's his radiant glory that fills the entire universe with not only light, but life. But if we were to take the absence of that and remove it, we're not simply left with just darkness, we're left with death, destruction. Not good, but evil. It would be the opposite, right? The absence of. And so what uh, Gaius Crispus is coming up with here is this great idea that, you know, I don't think evil exists on its own. It's really the absence of something greater. And he will say gods, of course, he's Roman, and every group they conquered, they took their gods in as their own, so he has an S on the end. But he's not far away from understanding the true God, because he understands this great thing that it's the absence of good in which we find evil. Now, he's not the only super genius to come up with this. There are other people. In fact, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, had this issue trying to understand evil, and so he was trying to break down these very ideas. And so he comes up with his first and second understanding. So the first is all things that God created are good, but evil's not good. Therefore, evil was not created by God. Okay, nice logic. Now he goes into the second understanding. Well, God created everything. God did not create evil. Therefore, evil is not a thing. It must be the absence of something. This is really important for us to understand in our theology and our understanding of God because our whole world has missed this. Everywhere I go, I, I hear people say, oh, you're a Christian, man. Well, I'm going to hell, and I guess I'll just burn there the rest of my life. Well, that's not at all what heaven and hell is. If heaven is eternal glory with God, meaning you and I will be resurrected, given new bodies, and stand in the presence of God for all eternity, filled with life and hope and light, and love and energy that we could just never even imagine and we were to remove all that and have the absence of it then we would have hell darkness death no conversation no relationships no nothing it'd be an empty void 
And then we think, oh, well, if God is so loving, how can he send people to that place? Well, he doesn't. You see, this is what's so neat about our God. Our God loves us so much that he's willing to honor our decisions. Because in order for love to exist, there has to be free will and choice, right? You can't force someone to love you. But what you can do is love them and offer your love as a gift. And God does that. And those of us that have recognized that and have accepted it, we will live with God for all eternity and wrapped in his love and his embrace. But for those that want nothing to do with God, how rude and how evil of him to force them into that love. It's like a shotgun wedding. It doesn't make sense. And so he allows people to live out their choice in the absence of him. Now, you can imagine the absence doesn't sound very good, does it? And I'm sure it breaks his heart when his children choose that. But I want to set the record straight that our God doesn't create evil. Our God is good. And what he creates is not only good, but very good. But what happens in chapter 3 of Genesis is we watch everything get twisted. And this is where sin begins in the Bible. It begins because Adam and Eve took something so great that God created for them, but they misused it. They missed the mark. That's where we get the word sin, actually. It means to miss the mark. In fact, did you know that the early Hebrew warriors used to use slingshots? Remember David and Goliath, the sling? They were so proficient with their sling that it says that they could knock a hair off your head. And when they missed, they called it a sin. You missed the mark. Now, if they're trying to knock a hair off a guy's head and they miss, I think there's a lot more than just missed. I think it's a mess. And sin can often be a mess. So St. Augustine comes up with this idea that evil in and of itself is not just a thing, it's really the absence of a thing or the distortion of a thing or the misuse of a thing. And if you think of all the things in our world that we deem as sinful or evil, there's certain situations where a lot of them probably aren't if they're used in the right context and if they're used in the way in which God created them to be. But anything also that's good can be misused. Right? Listen to what Albert Einstein came up with. He said, God did not create evil just as darkness is not absent of light. Evil is the absence of God. Even Einstein figured this out, which I think is amazing. But how do we know the difference between what is good and, and what is the absence of good and evil? I mean, if we look around the world, it's going to give us a lot of mixed messages. And, and this is where things get really challenging. I, I remember talking with a couple one time, and they had a, a child inside her womb that was dying. And there was no way in which they could save the child, so they would have to have an abortion to remove this child but they had a strong feeling against abortion. How do you make sense of that? How does our world make sense of that? Scripture will tell us, you know, it's not right to kill, but yet we send people out into the military all the time that often find situations where they have to kill somebody. How do we know what's right and wrong in this world? Well, our challenge will always be that when we look out into this world, it's going to give us mixed messages. It's, it's like a bunch of children leading children. Have you ever watched the combined intelligence go down in a room the more boys you add to it? 
It's truly amazing. You start with one high school boy and you're okay. You get two high school boys and all of a sudden you can see the collective intelligence just reduced by half. Any more you add, it's just a negative game. Well, this is exactly how our world is. And so we need something in which we can put our compass to, a map in which we can find ourselves on, a place in which we can hold truth so that we can always go back to it that doesn't change and say, this is what truth is. And so our creator doesn't want us to struggle or fail, miss the mark. So he's provided us with the ability to know him personally, his heart and his will, and we call this revelation. And, and this is so cool that we have a God who not only called us into existence, but then calls us into relationship with himself through his son, Jesus Christ. I love the creation story as Father God is speaking over creation and, and this void earth. And the Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. And, and the Son is just sitting there just marveling at everything that's happening and all of a sudden as as god begins making things work with his voice and the holy spirit starts sustaining and, and growing and all of a sudden he gets to humans and he makes adam and, and it says he formed adam with his hands do you know in that part of the story he stops speaking and he actually puts his hands in dirty mud and forms us that god took a, an approach to put his thumbprint on us that's amazing. And so we see the sun wrapping his hands around this clay and forming Adam. And then as he makes man, he stands him up and he breathes the breath of life into him. The Holy Spirit begins taking up residence and life forms out of this mud and clay. This is the power of God in the darkness. Graves turn to gardens. Clay becomes alive dead bones form again. And this is what we're talking about when we see Revelation. We talk about a God who not only called us into existence, called us into a relationship with his son, then provides the Holy Spirit to then come and tabernacle or take up residence inside of us so that we can speak and commune with God one-on-one -on -one with this incredible personal relationship. And then he gives us his scriptures so that we can read and know his character and nature and we can test and see the things in this world to know if they are good or evil that's powerful because as we live in this world we're going to find that not everything is black and white as we hope not every situation always makes sense not everything can be boiled down to a political view it's just the way it is the world's messy but we have a god who gives us some incredible insight I love when the young, rich ruler comes to Jesus and he says, look, I've studied all the laws. There's 300 and some of them. What's the most important? And Jesus says, look, it all boils down to this. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you take the Ten Commandments and you cut them almost in half, you'll find the exact same thing. The first half is all about loving God. The second half is how we love each other. This is why it's so important how we live our lives. And we don't want to miss the mark and find ourselves living in, in sin just because we missed out. Now, this is what God invites us into. And as you read this, I, I want to share something with you that I think is really important. And, and the first thing we have to do when we hear the word sin is we have to retrain our brains. See, many of you, like myself, have been taught, oh, that's sinful, that's wrong, and there's guilt and shame attached to it. 
And truly, there are times that I've done things or said things or thought things, and I, I've felt bad about it. And there's a word for that, you know, it's called guilt. I feel guilty. But what we're talking about here is, is understanding what is right and what is wrong. And there are going to be times in our lives where we accidentally stumble or make a mistake in sin. We do it all the time in our conversation. Have you ever said something to someone that hurt their feelings but you didn't mean to? Or they said something to you? Happens in our house all the time. And there's something special we have to do. We can't just feel bad about it. We have to go and make it right. And that's the difference. See, God is going to help us understand when we miss the mark, whether it's on purpose or whether it's by accident. And then he empowers us to go forth and make it right. And for those of us that can do that, the relationship not only gets healed, but it gets stronger. Do you know in a study, doctors found that when bones break and they reheal, they heal stronger than when they were first created? Do you know that when people go through an affair in a marriage and the couple decide to work it out and the husband or wife truly repents and they come back together, that that marriage is stronger than a normal marriage? See, our God is all about redemption and grace, not about punishment and anger. And I want you to get that first before we can go any farther. So God invites us into existence, into a relationship through his son, into knowing his heart and his will to allow the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts. And there's a reason for this, because he wants us to know the difference. And so remember we talked about light and dark. So take a look at this screen. On, on my right, your left, will be the light and the darkness will be on the other side. And if you just go across the screen, you'll see what happens when we just remove one from the other. So if I remove light from light, I have darkness. If I remove truth, I have falsehood, love, hate, hope, hopelessness, purity, impurity, eternal life, death, good, evil. And so what we're going to find in this particular letter that John is writing to this small group of people is he's trying to inform them that we want to live in the light so that we can see better in the world. Because when we know what's right and what's wrong, not only can we live in a way that's in accordance with God, but we can have a life that is much more fulfilling than if we were just trying to guess and go through life. Once God has revealed himself, his heart, and his will to us, sin no longer is simply breaking a rule or violating a law. Sin has become personal and therefore threatens to break down the relationship between us and God. Just like when we say something we didn't mean to and we hurt our spouse or our friend or our child. Same thing happens when we accidentally do something that was sinful with God. Now, this usually plays out when I live my life and I, I'm doing things and all of a sudden I get to know this Jesus. And as he begins to enter my heart and my life and I, I start to read the scriptures, all of a sudden I feel convicted of things. Have you ever heard of that word? That means my, my opinion is starting to change on things. And so a lot of the music I used to listen to and the movies I used to watch, I, I just don't watch them anymore. N not because some pastor or a Christian came and beat me up about it. I just looked at it and I said, boy, you know what, God? That, that doesn't really fit in the light. That's more in the dark. And I, I want to be in the light. I want to be with you. And so, you know what? I, I just don't need that anymore. I'm, I'm going to look to you to fulfill that in me. And so these things just fall away. You know, Paul talks about this when he says, I take off the old self and I put on the new. 
And you're going to find as you walk with Christ that each year you're going to find more and more things you might throw off. And that's really important that as we continually grow, we, we find ourselves more imitators of Christ than imitators of ourselves. But there's a danger. And the danger is once we start throwing things off, it's easy to look at someone else who hasn't and go, Phew, you're still wearing that? You're still listening to that? You're still doing that? Oh, man. You're a sinner. Now, there's a fine line between helping somebody to know the truth and helping someone to feel judged and beat up. And it's a real fine line. What I've found in my life is that most people don't need to be told where they failed. <laughs> We're well aware. <laughs> I'm well aware. But what I have found is that as we introduce people to Jesus, the same thing happens to them that happened to me, that all of a sudden the things I was doing that are missing the mark, I just don't need them anymore. I just don't need them. If we're going to continually sin, though, once we know these things, it's kind of like going to God and saying, look, God, I know who you are and I know what you want, but I just don't care. I want what I want. Now, this week I was painting the basement of my sister's house and I made my son come along. You know, it was one of those, I'm going to grow you up, son, and teach you all I know kind of things. And um, that lasted for three minutes. <laughs> and we're painting this wall and I'm trying to explain to him, you know, as you get the roller filled with paint, don't just roll one little area because then the paint globs up and it drips. You've got to really spread that thing out and then push the paint around and cover the wall. Well, I can tell you what he said, and I'm sure you know what he said. I got this, Dad. Well, we got through the whole wall and the second wall and the third wall, and then we're going back through, and there are drips and slops and things everywhere. And so very gently, I said, hey, son, I, I just want to show you. Remember when I said you got to roll it out? Here's why. You know his first response? He felt guilt and shame. Even though I wasn't beating him up, and even though my sister probably wouldn't even know that there's gloopy paint on her walls, but we had to fix it. We had to make it right. Uh, I bring this up because it's important when we talk to people. That's usually our first response when we hear a criticism. And that's why the world feels judged by Christians. But what would happen if we just said, hey, look, Gabriel, I love you, son. And there's nothing you can do to this wall or this house that's ever going to change that. But we do need to do it a specific way because not only does it make sense, but it looks better. And it's going to make them happier. It's their house. So we're going to go back and re-roll this. I'm going to do it with you. And that's what we did. And he felt better about it. So when you're growing in your faith, there's going to be times where you're going to cast things off that you just don't need anymore. And that's good. That means you're growing in your faith. But when you look at someone else that hasn't gotten rid of that thing in their life, it's not our job to cast it off them. It's our job to encourage them and to love them. So we don't want to have this attitude for those of us that have grown in our faith and we begin to know the difference between what's right and what's wrong and we begin to know our own patterns in our lives, what we're susceptible to versus 
things that we're okay with. And it's important that we don't have this attitude because this attitude is what breaks our relationship with God. Now, not that God leaves us, but that we leave God, right? I don't know about you, but when I am wrapped up in something that I know, I have truly missed the mark with God and I have broken relationships in my life. The last place I want to be is in church. The last thing I want to do is pray, and I certainly don't want to read my Bible. But what would happen if I just simply looked at it differently as, you know what, God, it's not so much that I just broke a rule or a commandment. It's that I hurt your relationship with me, and I want to make that right. And so I'm trusting in your full forgiveness and grace, and I'm accepting it as my own. And in doing so, I now can return back to that space where I was in your grace and your presence. And so I'm going to change my attitude with this really cool word and how we fix a relationship, and it's called repentance. Repentance is this really big word that simply means to recognize the broken relationship and you seek to restore it by turning from our own will back to God's will. This makes room for God's forgiveness to change us. Isn't it amazing that God always gives us choice? You know, he stands there saying, here is, is my love and my grace and my mercy, and it's yours. All you have to do is accept it. Man, I look at that and I go, it's so hard to accept love and grace and mercy because I have to recognize all the areas I fall short. And that's embarrassing. Man, I feel a lot of guilt and shame. But then when I do, I realize that through God in a Christian community, nobody is beating me up. There is no guilt and shame. There's encouragement and love, grace and mercy. But we're still holding to the truth, but we're doing it in love. Otherwise, as Paul says, we sound like noisy gongs or trash can lids being slammed together. If we do it without love, that's exactly what happens. So again, back to this light and dark. John is going to be talking specifically about the importance of why we want to live in the light and not in the dark. We want to live in the presence of God, not the absence of God. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, We believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun, in fact, we can't, but because we can see everything else. Right? It's all about how the sun illuminates. The light brings to forth things that we couldn't see in the darkness that now we go, boy, now I know it's there. I'm aware, and I get to make a choice. This is why the scriptures will say the people in the world are just lost in the darkness. Man, when I come in here early Sunday morning and there's no lights on, it's a scary endeavor. Because I don't know what people have been doing with the stuff during the week, but there's tables and chairs that are not where they're supposed to be, and I trip and I fall, or I, heaven forbid you go through the back. I mean, you could die back there. So I have a little flashlight in my phone and I'm trying to fumble my way through the dark and once the light shines on the table of the chairs, I now have a decision to make. Do I walk and trip over them or do I go around them? And in the same way, God lights us and our world around us so that we can see the things that might cause us to stumble or miss the mark so that we can journey safely and successfully. So now we're into our scripture. And here it is. It's real simple. It's just a few verses. This is the message that we've heard from him. That's God. And we declare to you that God is light. This is John speaking to this group of people. In him there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. This is such a powerful line, and when you think about it, what's happening is this group of people, there's, there's some of them in that congregation that are walking around going, you know what, I, I've got Jesus, so I can do whatever the heck I want. Oh, his grace will cover me. This is why Paul will say, so in order to bring upon God's grace, do I sin all the more? Well, I can tell you in our household, that, that's not good when the kids sin more to try to find mom and dad's grace. It doesn't work. And so what he's saying here is, look, if you're a Christian and you're living in the light, then, then live in the light. It's so important that we understand that that's where God is and with his presence, we want to be in that presence. And if we claim to have that fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, well, then guess what? We're lying about being present with God because God cannot be in the darkness. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with not only God, but with one another. Do you like that? Remember how we talked about the exponential redu reduction of intelligence of boys getting together? Well, now we're talking about the exponential increase of what God gives us, which is called life. And now we live in a community where we get to share that life together. And so hopefully in this church, in this space, we're able to talk about tough things. We're able to share the struggles that we're having in our lives or our marriages or, or with our children or, or with our neighbors and friends or at work. And we know people aren't here to judge us or beat us up, that they're going to understand because we want to be people who walk in the light, not who walk in the darkness, but claim to be in the light, but who really are in the light. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, before I go any farther, have you ever met someone that really is what I would call a holy roller? I mean, they really, it's like they don't even need shoes. They just hover across the ground because they, they just really think they're hot stuff and they've got it all figured out, and they don't sin, and they don't make mistakes. I have spent so much of my life in churches like that, and it's terrible. It's terrible, because it's a load of crap. Nobody is without sin. Every single one of us can improve in some area where we're missing the mark with God, and we could be blessed even greater. Every one of us. So therefore, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. John is actually making a joke here. He's saying, look, you know God's going to forgive you. Why are you hiding this crap from him? Just tell him. He already knows. But by saying it out loud, we find an incredible healing. This is why the Catholic Church has confession, and it's one of the wonderful things that the Protestant Church threw out when it changed. I wish we still had it. Because what a healing place where you can go and say, you know what, God, here's where I was living my life, but I want to come back to your will. I want to be repentant. And here's what I've done wrong, and I'm looking for hope and help. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. That's exactly how the world sees us. If we claim to be without sin, then it looks like we made God a liar. Do you know Gandhi studied scriptures? And he was so close to becoming a Christian, he said, I almost became a Christian until I met some of them. Scary. He would have been a Christian if he met people that didn't follow what John was saying. 
He closes with this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin or miss the mark. But if anybody does sin or miss the mark, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one, and he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the entire world. So what are you afraid of when it comes to sharing with God where we fall short? What are we afraid of when it comes to sharing with other Christians where we fall short? We can simply say, yep, that's not in the light, but let's get back to the light. Yeah, that's absent of God, but let's come back and be present with God. And if you don't know the way I do, and if you can't sing, I'll sing for you. If you can't walk, I'll help you. Wouldn't that be an incredible community to be a part of? I'm closing with this. This is a, a guy named Tommy Emanuel. If you ever want to look him up on YouTube, he's just fantastic. He's a guitarist, and he's from uh, Australia. And um, my wife and I went and saw him this week, and I've been watching him my whole life on YouTube. And I just really love him. He's got a phenomenal guitar style that's very unique. But every time I watch him and when I hear other people talk about him, they say, boy, this Tommy guy, I'm telling you, he is just the salt of the earth. Oh, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He is a gem. And there's something about him that makes him stand out above everyone else, not simply as a great guitarist, but just in his demeanor. He has peace. And so after the concert, I, I went home and I was researching, and I said, I typed in, does Tommy Emanuel have faith? And this really cool website popped up where he's being interviewed by another man in Australia, and he talks about his faith. And I want to share a piece of that story with you. Tommy Emanuel is now, I think, around 63 years of age. He still plays guitar, and he tours most of the year. He's been playing professionally live since he was 10 years old. After 50 years of playing, he and his brother did a special concert where they went around touring. But what's so cool is he talks about how during that journey of, of his life, he had a lot of wounds from his family. And that wounds he covered up with alcohol. And that alcohol got the best of him. And there was a point in his career where he had to cancel 20-some shows so he could go to rehab. And it was in rehab where he really found the healing of his body and his soul. He then is at a recording studio, and he's outside just taking a breath in between takes, and this woman who lives across the street, older woman, said, hey, come on over, have a cup of tea. So he came over and he said, I just felt a connection with her right away, and I began sharing my life with her and telling her how empty and void I felt. I'm constantly trying to live in the light, but I live in the darkness. And she shared some psalms with me, and some proverbs with me, and she prayed for me. He said, two weeks later, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That's what makes me different. I have Christ. Now, everywhere he goes, he does not play Christian music per se. He doesn't talk about his faith on stage per se. But with all the musicians he plays with, he does. And every one of them will talk about how this man truly lives like Christ. So I want to share a song with you by Tommy Emmaus, or Emmanuel. And here it is.
cut it there, but what I want you to see is there, there's no guitarist I've ever seen with more joy. And what I love about Tommy is he said, once I found Jesus, I knew I'm right where I need to be. And he travels the world, and, and he, he plays guitar, of course, but I watch him where people have filmed him with kids, and he'll sit down and he'll teach them his songs or he'll help them learn their music. He wrote a beautiful song called Tears for Jerusalem. I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. This man has an incredible ability of just allowing God to permeate his soul and his body, and so it just comes out so that people take notice. So that wherever he goes when he's being introduced, people don't introduce him as the world's greatest guitarist. They introduce him as this is the greatest man I've ever met. He really is an outstanding gentleman. And if you ever watch him perform with other people, it's never about him. He always lifts up the other person. It's no wonder he keeps getting voted number one acoustic guitarist of the year, just about every year. Matthew says these words, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I believe that's how Tommy Emmanuel lives his life. And I think he takes his cue from Jesus in which John takes his cue and writes his letter that we read today. My friends, we have an incredible, incredible opportunity to take up that invitation to not only live with God, but to live in his presence. And as we are, everything becomes illuminated. And we begin to see the perils in the world and we know how to navigate them because we now have the light in which to see. I encourage you, draw near to God. Get to know Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to permeate your life and read scripture. Be in community. Allow God to transform you in those moments, especially when you feel like you've fallen short and you feel that guilt and shame come back to him because as John said there's no reason you shouldn't you already know his forgiveness and grace is available to you it's up to you to take it it'd be foolish to sit there and starve to death knowing that there is somebody holding an entire meal in front of you all you have to do is receive it my friends let us pray and then I want to